I'm Catherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. This episode's guest is Caleb Spearing, owner of a construction company based in Nashville, Tennessee. He's also my brother. And it's one of the darkest realms of Christianity, of religion, period. It's any type of abuse. Spiritual abuse itself is insidious and can wreak havoc for a lifetime. Another facet of spiritual abuse is it often provides a cover and creates opportunities for other types of abuse to happen, aided and abetted by an entire system. My brother and I both experienced that system as we were growing up, and we'll discuss it in today's episode. Be advised that this episode includes discussion of sexual abuse and assault. About three years ago, I spoke at a event, and it was the first time that I used the word abuse in conjunction with our family in a public setting. But in that context of I'm on a stage, I've got a podium in front of me, it's being recorded, I have an audience. Mm. And it was very important to share it in that context, but I think one of the things that it did was once I said it publicly, it it made it so real. Mm. And it was like, oh, I'm not waking up from this nightmare. Well, I think that's how we were raised. Yes, we were raised in a home where we got everything that we needed physically as far as meals and food and so grateful for that. But along with that comes, we were raised to be a part of a system. And it's like, have you ever seen those universe things that have a bunch of different earths on them hanging around? That's how we were raised. And it's like, when you, you are raised to be in balance, to keep the system in balance and do your part in the balance. But if you remove one of those earths from the solar system, it throws the entire thing out of balance and everything out of whack. And then not only does it throw it out of balance, all the other solar systems being all the other people in the system are looking at you like, what the heck? Why did you just do that? And so not only do you feel like I'm scared because I'm facing something new, you also feel shame and guilt because the other people who are still in the system are looking at you like, what the heck are you doing? And now that system, it's not all bad. There is some awesome things in that system but there's also some some things that you know is dark in that system you know and that system is supposed to be closed off and no one is supposed to, outside of that system is supposed to have true access to that system in a in a family like kind of how we were raised in yeah um so when stuff starts when, when you admit that for the first time in public it's kind of like oh shoot i just bucked the system and I just do everything out of balance, and it's hard. Yep, well said. A question that I've always been curious and wanted to ask you is, so we're 11 and a half years apart in age, mm. and you're a guy, I'm a girl. 
our our family system had very strict gender rules like this is what mm -hmm. the men are supposed to do this is what the women are supposed to be, do and being the youngest who had five older sisters i'm very curious how you experienced watching your five older sisters essentially be raised a little differently than you i don't know maybe you didn't feel like we were raised differently than you or did you even notice the difference between the way the two genders were raised hmm. it's a great question i i definitely think i noticed the difference but there's always an incongruence for me because i noticed the difference and i was told the difference but until i got to be you know, 18 or probably 16, I didn't start to experience the difference. How so? so for instance, like there are always kind of things in our household, you know, the, the dad never did the dishes, never cleaned up, never made dinner, never made breakfast. Mom always made breakfast in the morning. Dad came out and ate and went to work very rarely even cleaned ever cleaned as cleared his own dish everything like that so i noticed that as a young man seven eight years old well he's a man he doesn't do that but i still have to do that and it didn't really make sense it didn't line up i remember one time you and i shared a bathroom with corey and i remember one time my job was to clean the toilet and i remember one time you're like why do i have to clean the toilet i'm a man i shouldn't have to clean like a toilet or clean the shower or something like that that's a girl's job but i still was forced to do it so there's that incongruence of like seeing well my dad doesn't have to do it so why do i have to do it and he's a guy i'm a guy why do i have to do it when i get to be you know turn 16 17 i start to realize ah, probably even younger than that i start to realize I have kind of a little bit, it was easy for me to leave, leave for college. It was easy for me to get a job. Now, when it got time to go to college, the actual going to college was fine, but control was the main thing. My, my dad said he had to have, still have complete control. And he told me unless I didn't give him complete control, I wasn't allowed to go to college. So I think the control side of things was still the same, but whereas I had free, I could leave and go off to Auburn, that wasn't ever an option for you to leave and go off to Auburn. So that's kind of the different. We kind of, I don't know, had more free reign to leave and go do our own stuff as a guy, but there was still this like control that had to be had mm -hmm. in there. I think that's super helpful because it's it's like there were clearly defined gender roles and your your male role involved you getting to do certain things but they were only things that you were allowed to do because dad allowed you to do them they weren't actually free will choices really as much as there were all these strings and stipulations attached to it. And the women had fewer options 
mm-hmm. but we both had the same limited amount of freedom. Right. And right. that's that's super helpful. And I and also very confusing that as the man and the breadwinner, he didn't have to do dishes or clean clean anything. But then you as a man still had to do those things. And so he was using this messaging of like, I'm a man and this is this is not my job, yet he still made you do it. And so there was just like I think that that's a very common theme in our family of opposing messages, two different messages being received at the same time. And if you ever questioned it, the, the default was some version of I'm the dad, I can do that. Right. That was, and there was just kind of in all of our childhoods, I think across the board, all seven of us would say there's just a lot of confusion and so you kind of just learned, unfortunately, to just not have an opinion and kind of just like go, I think of like the ocean surf, like you just kind of go where the waves push you, you know, and that is the most because in, in the ocean, if you're fighting the waves and trying to go against them, it gets really tiring, really exhausting. Maybe you want to go over there and you see it and you want to get there. But eventually you just get so tired. You're just like, it's more relaxing for the ocean surf just to take me. Like, let's just go wherever it goes, it goes. And that is like how I would describe growing up is like, you see it. And sometimes every now and then a wave would come and push you to where you want to go. But then another one would come. And that's kind of the two opposing rules that you would say that you were just talking about. And you just kind of got used to just, all right. I'm just going to relax and float until I can get out. That's a really great analogy. And probably a good analogy for any abusive system or any form of abuse is, mm. is the, the penalty for defying the regime, whatever it is, is more painful than just shutting up and just like you said going with the flow and it takes a moment of I don't want to live this way anymore in order to have the energy to keep swimming to get out of that Mm -hmm. riptide and and some people don't survive that swim right they get too tired and just fall back in it's like whatever yeah a a working definition of spiritual abuse that I'm, I'm using right now, it's way more complex than this, but just it's a, a simple framework to work through is spiritual abuse is using God and the Bible to manipulate and shame someone into a certain set of behaviors. I would love to hear from you just what was an example of that using God in the Bible to shame you into a certain set of behaviors? Fear. You were motivated by fear to fit, to stay in line. I, I know that it was a huge thing. We Even over the past, you know, five, six months for me, realizing that God and Jesus are on the same team. It's not Jesus standing there and like holding God back and saying, stop, please don't kill him. Please don't kill him. Like I just, 
I want to keep, just give them another chance. No, God is, loves me. You know, I am loved. So, but it's like the, you know, fear God and keep his commandments. Like you have, you should be afraid of God and what he's going to do to you. So you need to step in line and stay in line. And the way you do that is you honor your father and mother. And honor meant obey in our household. And, and I don't know, I don't care who you are. Honor does not mean obey. It can mean obey, but that's not, that's not exclusive. So there were a lot of times where, especially transitioning from boyhood into manhood to where I would have a decision and I, I had to ask permission to do that. And if I had to ask permission to make this decision and if I went against his advice or went against what was I was told to do, I was a dishonorable son. But that's not what that means. And I think that's taken out of context and I think that's wrong. And then if you didn't do it, you were shameful, you know, and you were told that your sins were going to come and haunt you and you were going to be punished for your sins, you know? Mm-hmm. When you went away to college, dad said, I still want complete control. What did that look like when you were in college? Yeah, so when I was, I had been completely accepted into college. I had my first semester completely paid for. So since I was 16, you know, I paid for my first car by myself. I paid for my computers. I paid for my cell phone. I paid for gas, insurance, all of that. And so I had to pay for college as well, books, room, board, everything. And I got in and my first semester, I had it completely paid for. And dad told me that I wasn't allowed to go. And I didn't know about I, this. Yeah. And, and I was really confused because I was like, I just did everything that you've, because originally I wasn't even going to go to school. I was just going to do construction, but he told me I had to go to school. So it was kind of this confusing, like I have to go to school, but I'm not allowed to go to Auburn, which is the best school in the nation for the degree that I want to get. And I got into this degree, building science. So it's a very hard degree to get into, but I'm not allowed to go. So basically the reason why is because he felt like if I went, I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna obey him anymore so he told me the only way that I could go is if I agreed to give him the trump card in my life so I had to ask him if I ever wanted to leave the city limits of Auburn I had to call and ask him I had to ask him if I ever want to make any major purchases I had to and if ever there was something that I was doing or whatever he could at any point pull a trump card and I had to either come home like if I ever he said come home or if ever he said don't do that I had to stop and I had to do it and I pretty much just said no you don't have that trump card I'm gonna go to Auburn anyway because and that was kind of the freedom I had because I wasn't relying on him financially at all whatsoever I said I'm going anyway and so he, fin- he got on board, I guess. I don't know how that happened, but he got on board and I went. But he still wanted the trump card. 
and he kind of, I think, hit in his mind a man is not allowed, is not out from underneath his father's authority until he leaves and goes and joins with his wife. So he told, you know, when I was 18, I specifically remember talking to him about, well, when do I get to make my own decisions? When do I get to be, a, I think it was 17 because I graduated when I was 17. And I was like, when do I get to do that? Because, you know, I'm paying for everything. It kind of seems like a good time for me to do that. And basically he said, well, it's not clear in scripture, but the only verse that there is about it is when you leave and marry your wife. So that sounds like a good time to me. And I'm 23 years old, own, you know, a very large business and own a house, own rental properties. And I'm not married yet. So I guess theoretically I should still be underneath his control, which I don't mean to say that to be sarcastic or anything, but it's, that's kind of, and I think that might probably have changed in his mind by now, but that's kind of where. And then when I didn't give him the Trump card and when I didn't give him that, you know, I wasn't following Jesus. I can't tell you the number of times that he told me that I wasn't being a Christian or that I wasn't following Jesus or that I wasn't. And it's funny how to me, it was always crazy how one, because I didn't agree with one man on this planet, I was still going to church, still reading my Bible, still, because this is all the things that I had been taught to do growing up that makes you a good Christian. You go to church, you read your Bible, and you try your hardest not to sin. So I was still doing all those things, but because I wasn't doing them exactly the way that my dad told me to do, I wasn't a Christian. So it's kind of like, that's the fourth thing, is you do it exactly the way that I said. I'm the supreme interpreter of the Bible. And if you disagree on scripture with me, I have so much more wisdom. You know, there's, I can't tell you the number of times that that was said is like, I have so much more wisdom than you, whatever. So. I have two follow-up questions. Bring it on. Let's go. One is, so the definition of Christian that was given was read Bible Try your hardest not to sin. And then what was the other one? I said it was go to church, but it wasn't that. We actually didn't church. go to church. Yeah, church wasn't important because we didn't know uh, there was no pastor in Huntsville good enough. I just know we did home church. And we left multiple churches. Okay, so church was not required to be a Christian. But read your Bible and try your hard not, hardest not to sin. But then he was the supreme interpreter of the Bible and sin. Yep. So basically, to be a Christian, you have to do it his way. Yeah, that was the message that was given what do you, through grade school and early teens. And I think the only thing that I can say is the Holy Spirit decided to prick my heart a little bit and tell me that that wasn't true and started to like give me the strength to push back on that 16, 17. Was there any like inciting incident or something that made you decide I'm going to question this? 
I'm not just going to accept this. No, I don't think there's any one thing. So here's what I would say is that dads don't realize how much they want, their sons want their approval. Even now at 23 years old, when I've been out of the system for what, five years now, I still struggle with wanting the approval of my dad and still struggle when I don't get that approval or when I get an email that is just trashing me and my lifestyle or whatever from my dad. So that's what like is, is the biggest struggle I realized though growing up is like, I can never be good enough. There, I can never do, I think there's a point at like 15, 16, 17, that I can never be good enough. And in our household, it was perfection. That's what you do to get my love is be perfect. It's like a Pac-Man, you know, a Pac-Man, how it goes and it like just eats. <laughs> a Pac-Man this is dad was the Pac-Man and you as a kid learned how to be the perfect pizza slice to fit in the Pac-Man's mouth to make him whole. If that makes any sense. Dad was the Pac-Man and you just had to figure out how to fit into that pizza slice to make him whole. And then if you did that, everything was going to be fine. But if you ever pulled out, then there's this huge void now in that, in your parents and they're like, Oh no. Well, like then, then they, it goes off the chains off, you know, so you have to learn how to fill that void again. That's what I was meant to do growing up is to fill that void. And it kind of makes me think that a predominant experience dad was having when you were leaving to go to college was freak out. Wow. I'm about to lose this being that helps fill this void. And so yep. I need to put my hooks in and dig down deep so that I don't lose this being to fill this right. for me. That's a good, a good analogy. What role did the church play in helping you? Not at all. Really? Not at all. Sometimes I've found people within the church to help but I have yet to like attend the church where the leadership has even talked about spiritual abuse or even talked about because I mean I was sexually abused for eight months in early teen years and never once and I didn't tell anyone for seven years and I was blackmailed and all that kind of stuff. And never once did I ever hear someone talk about sexual abuse or spiritual abuse or physical abuse in the church, in small group, in youth group, ever. Wow. In those seven years. Never no, once. The only it. time that I heard it talked about was when the U.S. gymnastics thing came out. And I heard so many people talk about why couldn't they just tell someone like they should have just told someone that the and I'm sitting here like well I'm not telling I've been sexually abused and raped but I'm not telling anyone like you don't get it and that's the only time I ever heard it talked about 
Really? And you went yeah. to multiple yeah. churches. It wasn't because you lived in a bunch of different cities. Yeah. So Auburn, I went, I moved from Huntsville to Auburn, went to a church in Auburn, nothing. Went from Auburn to Miami, had a church in Miami. And they were probably the best because I had a good personal relationship with the pastor. So I was able to at least talk to him some about it, but never from the pulpit did I hear about it. And then I went from Miami back to Auburn to a different church. Never heard it there. I had a great relationship with the leadership of that church, but they, it was a very arrogant leadership. And so they really wasn't like talking about that at all. And then I've come here and been to two churches in the last two years here in Tennessee. And the first church that I went to was fine. Probably my favorite church that I've been to in my entire life. But there really wasn't any, it kind of felt like the pastor was the only one trying to do it. But it was a church of 4,000 people and the pastor can't do it on his own. So he cared, but, kind of, but the culture itself didn't right. care. Right. It's interesting that the culture itself didn't care because there's got to be so many victims slash survivors in that congregation of 4,000 people. So, so I gave, I was real involved with the youth group there and I gave a speech at youth group and I told my testimony and at that testimony telling the sexual assault and all that, like I said at the end of it, if you struggle with this, or if you, this is happening to you or it's happened to you, it's okay. You're still wanted. You're still cherished. It's not your fault. No matter what someone tells you, it's because it's not your fault. And I've had people tell me that was my fault that that happened. And it's, I, you know, and I know it now that it wasn't. And like eight kids it came up and talked to leaders that night that it was happening to them. And it's like, no eight one, kids. Why, one you know, night. why is this? Why is this not a normal thing that gets talked about in church? Why is the church not pornography, sexual addiction, you know, same-sex attraction, sexual abuse, physical abuse? The church should be the most comfortable spot in the world to talk about it. But yet, for some reason, there's an atmosphere around church still, in my opinion, where you need to be perfect. And if I don't, I don't want anyone to know that about me. Yeah, it's true. So it's like when you were talking about the system earlier, if you're in association, you're a part of the system, and sometimes you choose the role you play and sometimes you don't, and I believe that churches play a role in perpetuating abuse by just being quiet and being silent. And when did you feel comfortable starting to share with, well, when did you know, first of all, that it was abuse, spiritual abuse and all the other types of abuse in our family, and then the sexual abuse, which was not yeah. necessarily a part of our family. I don't know if you yeah. want any details about that, but that wasn't, it was, it was allowed because of our family, but it wasn't the family. And how did you know about that? And then when did you have the courage to start talking about it? So one thing I'd add to your spiritual abuse definition is I believe that you can indirectly spiritually abuse someone. 
So if you're in a position of leadership, I don't think the abuse, yes, abuse can be twisting scripture and using scripture to manipulate someone to do something. But I also believe it can be, if you're in a place of leadership, people are looking up to you, people are looking to you to feed them and to foster them and to lead them. And if you are going against scripture and are telling people to do stuff, you're not necessarily using scripture to manipulate people. But if you are not creating a good environment and you are not following scripture in the leadership of your church and how you carry yourself and conduct yourself and requiring the same of your staff below you, I still would argue that that is a form of spiritual abuse as well. Now, I don't think that's direct. We had a much more direct spiritual abuse where scripture was used to manipulate and to control, but I don't think that's as prevalent as you would, as the other way is. I didn't start to realize the direct spiritual abuse that was in our family until probably in the last year. I've gone to therapy, intense therapy. I probably spent 12, 15 grand in the last year just on therapy and going to intensives and workshops and stuff like that, just trying to figure out my, my ish. And that's when I've started over the past years, when I started to realize the direct spiritual abuse of my family that was in our, in our family. And then in the from the church, year, you started in the past year. Yeah. And then in the church, I would say, I can't, I have never been directly spiritually abused in the church. Have I been hurt by church leadership? Yes. But I don't think just because you were hurt by church leadership, I don't think I can classify that as spiritual abuse. And I wouldn't classify my experiences with church leadership as spiritual abuse as much as I would maybe say spiritual neglect, if that makes sense. Neglect can be a form of abuse. You're right, it can, but I don't, yeah, and it maybe it is, and maybe that's kind of tomato, tomato, but it certainly can be. Meaning that they um, didn't help you in a way that you needed. Yeah, and there wasn't an environment that was set up to be helped. Explain a little more. So, age 14, I was in a sexually abusive relationship with like a 27-year-old man for eight months. I didn't know any church. I started going to church when I went to Auburn, which was when I was 18. And until age 21, I never felt, had, felt like I had an environment or a place or a person that would listen to me when I talked about it. And I can't tell you the number of pastors that I had lunch with or that I asked to hang out with or whatever. And it never once did I feel comfortable or like they, and, and it might've been, I'm not putting all this on all those pastors because I believe I had a lot of crap in my life that I had to deal with. But until we were in the car in LA, you and I were driving to the baseball game. Did I tell you that I wasn't a virgin? and that sex was awful, that you told me that most people who think sex is awful have been sexually abused. 
And that is the first time that I ever told anyone that I had been sexually abused and like that I feel comfortable enough to tell someone. I didn't know that that was the first time. It was just, I don't know. It was, and people knew that I wasn't a virgin and knew that I didn't like sex, you know, different things, but no one ever like, they all just thought I was weird. I didn't like sex. Mm. No one ever was like, man, like why? And I, again, I'm not sitting here blaming those people because maybe they didn't know, you know, and I'm thankful that now I do know so that, cause I can't tell you the number of people that the Lord has put in my path in my life that I've gotten to minister to. And then I can relate to on a deeper level because of my past. Did my past suck? Did, did my spiritual abuse in our household growing up really, really stink? Did going through that sexual assault really stink and really hurt? Yeah, it did. Did my last 23 years growing up, have they been amazing? No, but if we're going to get down to the nitty gritty and be honest, I can't say that I would go back and change it because of what people the Lord has put in my life and the people that I get to talk to, the people I get to relate to, and the ministries that I get to be involved in and support and speak at because I'm friends with the directors and they say, wow, okay, you've gone through a lot of the same things that these guys and girls have gone through. And now you're on like you're on the other side of it or you're getting to the other side of it. Come share. And the people I can be an encouragement because this is a dark side. The whole reason point of this podcast is for people who have been spiritually abused. And it's one of the darkest realms of Christianity, of religion, period, it's any type of abuse. Because it's scary to go into this cave and to turn a light on. Because there's a lot of baggage and hurt and obstacles that you have to go through in order to navigate this dark spot. And not many people are willing to do it. And I'm, because of my past, I get to do this. And I get to go into these places. And you get to do this. And it's hard being on a podcast. I've listened to your last couple podcasts and like it's not easy to sit here and be on a podcast and talk about the family system because people in our childhood or these people are going to hear and they're going to hear oh Caleb's not a virgin but I can't care about that like God doesn't care so why should I care and why should I care what you think or what the other person thinks and that's the that's where freedom starts to take its hold is when you realize that the father in heaven literally doesn't give a crap at all what you've done in your past he doesn't he doesn't even see it like nothing it's gone in his eyes he just loves you period just loves you like that is just that right there are the keys to set people free and that is what needs to be being preached and what needs to be being told to these people of abuse. Not your fault. You are loved. You are wanted. You are good, despite whatever you've done in your past or whatever has been done to you in your past. Like you have a father that is so freaking in love with you. And I just, yeah, I don't know. I get goosebumps even just thinking about it. 
Yeah. I um, I have a thought that I'm, I'm just going to say because I have thought so many times about the sexual abuse that you experienced and the abuse that you experienced from our dad. And there's one thing for him to abuse me. And then it was just a whole other level when he abused my siblings and there was nothing I could do to stop it. And, Mm -hmm. and to have that mama bear, big sister protective instinct be ignited, but then to never be able to do anything, you know, to never be able Mm -hmm. to act on it. And I think about the sexual assaults and I have had this thought on many occasions of, I am so angry that that happened. And I asked God, do I love my brother more than you love him? Because you let this happen. Is, is it pot, you know, asking, I have to ask that question. And I believe it's very important to, to ask those questions because mm-hmm. they're already there. And yeah. if he is God, he already knows. So let's go there. Let's go to that dark place and ask that question. And the only conclusion that I've, or not conclusion, but where I am with that is, if I love you and I can be so angry that this happened, if there's a chance that God loves you as much as I love you or more, he is so angry that Mm. it happened. And for a reason that I don't know allowed it to happen. But I believe that that anger is there. And I believe when he looks at abuse, at the abuse in our childhood, abuse that you experienced, the abuse that happens in churches, I believe he's very angry. And I Mm. do not believe that this is something that he is okay with, that he is allowing this evil, this question, this cosmic question of evil that people have been trying to figure out for thousands of years that we don't understand. But I do believe that if my human love can ignite anger, I believe that God is angry. Mm. Thanks for saying that. I'm glad you did say it. There is not a micro droplet of being within me that like puts any type of blame, if you will, on anyone, any of my siblings, I should say, at all, at all whatsoever. And you guys weren't the ones setting setting up the system in our house you guys weren't the ones who it it just wasn't allowed to be talked about because out of fear like you let them know as little as possible because what if something becomes your fault well you know and this is something that's hard is like i had to apologize to my abuser when i was 14 dad made me apologize to my abuser and I would rather sit across the table while he made nasty gestures at me and apologize to him than tell, let it get out to my family or my parents that I was abused. Like that is how 
strict and tight and regimented we grew up in. Like that's what we grew up in. You would rather encounter your sexual violator again than admit that something wasn't perfect. Yes. Because I'm sitting there, dad's sitting right next to me, the abuser's sitting right across the table from me. And I'm, I would rather apologize to him because I'm scared to death of the havoc that dad can wreak on my life if he finds out that he was the first guy to introduce me to pornography that the abuser was. So if I, dad finds out that I looked at pornography, oh gosh, like, like I'd much rather just get this over with, apologize to the guy and move on with my life and block it out from my mind and not talk about it, not think about it, than suffer the, the wrath of my dad if he found out that I looked at pornography or that I, you know, had sexual sin. That's very hugely telling of how insidious and deeply ingrained the system yeah, I've kind of come to a point where in my healing journey that if I'm not going to just stay in silent, if that makes sense, because mm-hmm. if my story can maybe can wake up another dad who's like my dad, who has a son and it's not too late for him to start treating his five-year-old son right, then that's what I want. That's more important than maintaining the perfect image that we were taught to maintain. I agree with you. And I think that that's where I am. As I've encountered so many other stories of abuse and spiritual abuse, specifically recognizing the toll silence has Mm -hmm. when you're not allowed to share your story and when you're isolated and no one knows. And Mm -hmm that cost is higher than the ramifications of shining light on what's really going on. My pastor in college said Christianity was rigged to be relational. I agree with that to an extent, but I think it was rigged to be relational when the relationships are authentic and vulnerable and real. Not just, hey, how you doing on a Sunday morning? You know, that's not a relationship. Mm -hmm. Someone that knows your shit. Well, and I think that it's, it's true that you've been vulnerable and it has allowed other people to be vulnerable. But I think another real dark side of that is you lose friends and you, you gain sometimes in some cases enemies. And I think that living authentically means that it means you're going to have some really great healthy beautiful vulnerable relationships and then you're going to have a lot of people who just don't like you and don't want to hear what you have to say i believe not as high a price to play as living inauthentically and having to kill off a side of your story because it's not acceptable Yeah. I think the last thing that I would say is an encouragement to those of your listeners 
that are actively in a stage of life where they are in abuse. And I would, I use, I emphasize stage of life because it, it's not always going to be this way, but I would just encourage, keep trying to find someone that will listen and will help. And that's going to be hard and that's going to hurt because you're going to get rejected by people, but keep trying to find someone. For me, it was therapy. That's what it took. I don't have a CrossFit membership that's $200 a month so that I can go to my therapist twice a month. And that's hard, but I can work out at my house or whatever. And, but I have to sacrifice to go to therapy, but I don't believe there's any greater health in your body than your mental health. And those of you who are out there who have experienced trauma, I'm going to say this lightly, but if you think that you've experienced trauma and you've never talked to someone about it and you've never opened up about it and you think that you've got it all figured out just between you and God, I would argue that you're deceiving yourself. It is so important to open up and talk through it and get help in processing it. And that will, you're stifling the the impact that you're going to have on the people around you by holding your story in and by completely containing it. So yeah, I just think it's so important to talk, to work through it, to keep trying, keep pressing, trying to find someone that will listen and that will help. podcast supports TearsofEden.org, a community and resource for those in the aftermath of spiritual abuse. If you know someone who might benefit from the material of the podcast or the website, feel free to share it with them. And when you subscribe to the mailing list of TearsofEden.org, I'll send you access to a 10-minute mindfulness meditation. Finally, I want to invite you to take a moment to like, subscribe, or leave a review on your favorite podcasting listening apparatus. I'll see you next time. Thank you.